Well, good morning. It's, um, it's great to be with you all on this frosty morn. It was uh, early this morning. It was two degrees at my home. I have a little thermometer outside and it is, uh, it's not really impressive to me until it gets to one. So we almost made it down to one. We'll keep trying, maybe tonight. Um, anyway, as I said, it's good to be with you all. And um, those of you that I don't see, it's good to be with you as well. So uh, Katie and I and our family, we moved here uh, to Maine in 2018. And prior to that, we were part of a church for several years in Kansas City, Missouri. And it was a very interesting place, uh, to say the least. And there's a lot of complex social dynamics um, in the immediate neighborhoods surrounding the church building itself. And that bled over into the uh, actual church body, the same situation, just very complex um, issues and, and dynamics in the people that uh, were part of our church. So what I mean by that is there were, there were just a total mixture of, of people, uh, diversity on a lot of different levels. So there were a lot of older people. Uh, there were a lot of younger people. There were really, really wealthy people. Um, there were also really poor people. We had black people. We had Hispanic people. Uh, we always sat behind this couple and she spoke Spanish, but we smiled and uh, waved to each other every day. And she always smelled really like a nice lady. Uh, she like a, gra a, gra a grandma type lady. Uh, Miriam was her name. And we had Republicans. We had Democrats. We had homeschoolers. We had at schoolers. We had people with mental health issues. We had actually some homeless people that showed up and they would, um, you know, the, the back would kind of clear away from them because of the, the odor of the, of the homeless people that would show up. Um, sometimes it got, as you can imagine, it got really messy, right? All of these dynamics coming together. There's just a lot of issues that can crop up because of all those situations. Sometimes it got really messy. People got their feelings hurt, sometimes. People came to our church. People left because of various issues going on. And as I've had time to reflect, and I was thinking about this this week, uh, and, and using this as an introduction, I've been wondering, did, did we grow, and kind of asking the question about, about myself, uh, Katie, the church in general at that time, did we grow in all of these various issues and all of these different types of people that were there? Did we grow at elevating our unity in Jesus above all of those natural divisions and differences? And I don't have an easy answer. I would say that, yes, at times we probably did grow in that, but I would say at other times we failed in that. And that's, that's just the reality. And I mean, I believe in God's good eternal plans. And so I don't think anything was a mistake. And he is always working these things for uh, purposes, some of which we don't know or see. 
but I think it was um, just a really rich experience, if nothing else, to look at people that I have almost nothing in common with, and that I actually disagree on almost every level with, but then to stand next to them and pray and sing and, you know, contend, if you will, for, for the gospel in our town. Uh, so it, it's, a, it's a really um, interesting situation, and I think it's helpful just to kind of introduce that situation in terms of what we are going to talk about today in this passage and what we've already heard about a little bit even. Because the division between the Jew and the Gentile in the first century is probably even more enhanced, generally speaking, than the natural divisions, the sorts that I just uh, talk, talked about in our church. Let me pray before we go much further. Lord, we ask your blessing. I ask your blessing on this time and for your goodness to be here in this place for your word to be clear, for our hearts to be open. And may you um, do with us and build us up as your church body, as is good for us and as is glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm just looking at my timer here and it's going the wrong way. It's counting up uh, rather than down. So I will try to stay on track. I have no idea how much time I have though. So you're, you're, in store, I guess, for whatever I have. Um, Acts 11, 19 through 30. I titled this sermon, Building a New Humanity. And we were talking this week with the pastor team about the idea of trying to get a big idea out of the passage in order to communicate it uh, clearly. So here's my attempt at this. The big idea, the big summary statement of what I think is going on and kind of what we're going to center around through the gospel, God rebirths, you know, rebirths, B-I-R-T-H-S, a fractured humanity. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to be a part of this birthing program. So through the gospel, God rebirths a fractured humanity. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to be a part of this birthing program. So as we've been going through Acts, you've probably picked up, there's kind of this growing shift in focus that's beginning to take place. Uh, The gospel has been uh, kind of preached and focused towards the Jewish population, right? Uh, we've, We've seen that, but it's kind of shifting to like introduce more and more of a Gentile focus. Uh, So we think about maybe over the last several weeks, the sermons that we've heard, uh, the Ethiopian official, uh, the conversion of the Ethiopian official, obviously, uh, I think it's safe to say not not a Jewish person there. Uh, Peter's vision, I think we talked about this, was it last week or the week before, um, to Cornelius, who was a Gentile, right? Uh, Peter in chapter 11, getting criticized by the quote-unquote circumcision party. that would be the, the, the Jewish defenders and him having to defend the story um, about Cornelius. And then so here we come to Acts 11, verses 19 through 30, and we really start to step on the gas now to this change in focus. Uh, it really ramps up speed. 
So the context here is the division of the Jew, uh, Jewish culture compared to the Gentile culture. Okay, and if you don't really know much about it, Gentile is just a fancy word, if you will, for a Greek-speaking, Greek-cultured population. Um, not a uh, descendant ethnically or culturally, especially of Israel. So in this era, you, you maybe have heard about the Maccabean Revolution. It took place uh, in about 160 BC, and it just kind of uh, accentuates and highlights the like very serious cultural divide between Jew and Gentile. Um, so if you get a chance, go look up, um, you know, the Maccabean Revolution, uh, the Maccabean Revolt. It's a really fascinating time of history. It's a little bit like if we were to, like, step into the Civil War of the United States, right, in the 1860s. Um, it, that sort of divide it doesn't just go away, and it didn't just come from nowhere. There's a long history that led up to it, and it was essentially an effort to throw off this term that we read about, Hellenism, the, the Greek culture. It was, in essence, an attempt to throw that and divide it out of Jewish culture, to separate the two. They were mingling too much, and certain groups of people thought that was extremely bad, so they went to war over it, in fact happens all the time it's happened throughout history but this is kind of the world that jesus um, entered into so I, I i found a helpful summary statement um and and solomon if if you have that slide of the text here you can bring it up because I'll, I'll read it it's a few sentences so i thought it'd be helpful to have it um and this is uh, um again just trying to highlight and summarize the distinctions and the differences and the cultural divides between jew and gentile and again, this is trying to set the context, establish the framework for uh, the story and what's going to go on here. It says this. It says, the prejudice of Jews against Gentiles was just as strong. So previous to this statement, I didn't include the whole thing, but it kind of summarized how Jews felt towards Gentiles. Now they're summarizing how Jews, um, sorry, how Gentiles felt against Jews. Now they're going in reverse how Jews felt about Gentiles. It was just as strong, if not stronger, in the first century. The Jews' ethnic identity was grounded in the monotheism of a God who was called one to be a holy people, forsaking the idolatry of the Gentiles. A powerful mixture of fear of contamination and pride of divinely favored position works in the Jewish mind to create a prejudice, uh, prejudicial disdain for even revulsion at the idolatry, I'm having a problem reading, the idolatry, you, you know what it says, unclean Gentile. Of course, the Gentiles' disdain of the Jews' imageless monotheism heightened the antipathy. So there's this deeply religious-oriented divide between these two cultures and i don't know that as americans we can really grasp how deep and powerful powerful and pervasive it was but if you can just think in your mind the the own your own experience with um having a, a sort of like just angst or 
divisive feeling or posture towards some other group of people. Maybe it's political. Uh, maybe it's, you know, kids at the table in the cafeteria when you were in high school that wouldn't let you sit there. Whatever it is, just like think on that and dwell on that and then extrapolate out to say this is pervasive in a whole entire culture that is so ingrained with a religious component that is centuries and centuries old, right? It's not just kids at the table who won't, you know, let you sit there because you're not cool enough. So this is the context of what we have going on. There's a shift going on that the gospel is going to focus towards the Gentile world more and more. In fact, the Gentile world becomes central. It becomes central here, which was just unthinkable to a first century Jewish person, which we've already seen that a little bit. It becomes central to God's redemptive program. So if we look at uh, Acts 11, verses 19 through 20, we read about them coming up to Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, and Solomon, you can bring up this other slide here. I have just a little map. And these are not just like happenstance um, names and locations that are thrown in here. I think that Luke, the author of Acts, he's, he's doing something very intentional here by, by mentioning these. Because yes, they, they point out a geographic uh, area. But it's no coincidence that the, this is some of the most heavily Gentile cultured parts of the Roman world. So I have a little map here, and I know it's hard to see if you're in the back, but you have uh, up here in the corner, this is where um, Antioch is. And this happens to be the arrows on there spreading out into the Mediterranean, happens to be the pathway that Paul basically took on his first missionary journey. But they come up from Jerusalem, to that uh, spot, Antioch, there in the corner, and you see the little hand, it's an island, it's Cyprus, kind of pointing towards Antioch, so that's uh, part of it. But this is all very Gentile area. So, you might think of it, it is, it's, it's, it's the gateway to the entire Gentile world. And this is where people started going, and they started proclaiming Jesus in this very, very Gentile world that is famous for centuries and centuries of sea travel, seafaring, trading routes, going all over into the West. And the Roman Empire spread out all the way to England. There are Roman ruins in England. This is how expansive this area was. And it kind of, in a way, the trading started here in Antioch. It was the third largest city in the world at this point. Um, people from all over the world, all sorts of different cultures were living there. And so this is where they go and they begin to proclaim Jesus. And it later, it's fascinating if you stop and think about it. Antioch, in just a few years' time, becomes the center for the Christian movement in the first century, a Gentile city. 
Center for the Christian Missionary Movement. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Phoenicia and uh, Cyprus and Antioch, but I think if you can just establish that in your mind, that this is like the gateway and it's symbolic. I think Luke is symbolically telling and crafting his narrative in this way to make the point that the gospel is shifting. The gospel focus is shifting from Jew to Gentile. In verses 27 and 30, you have um, this curious um, thing about the mention of Agabus, the prophet, prophesying about the famine that is to come. Um, And it actually did come. It mentions here Claudius was the Roman emperor at that point. So we can kind of date that along with what Acts describes. This famine hit in the year 46. And so it mentions that the uh, Christians here in Antioch, they sent money back to Judea for the predominantly Jewish Christians to be able to survive. So you just have to stop and think about this for a minute. Last week, I think Ethan mentioned about, you know, some of the dietary restrictions of the Jews at that time. And that, that, you know, you weren't even supposed to sit down at a table with the Gentile. In here, what do you have? You have the Gentiles that are actually have become Christians, followers of Christ. They are the ones that are the lifeline of food and support to the Jewish Christians in Judea. They're supplying them with their food. They weren't even supposed to eat together just a little while ago. I think this is a very like sort of powerful, symbolic like representation of what Luke is doing here and talking about how this division is just crumbling away. It's just crumbling away, Jew and Gentile. It portrays the beginning of the end of hostility. This fractured, divided humanity is being rebirthed to be restored, renewed, and remade. I was thinking about this. There's a, there's a motif, I guess, if you kind of a theme, a, a motif that kind of runs throughout the Old Testament about worshipers and gifts streaming from the, all over the nations coming to Jerusalem to worship the one true God of Israel. You have this recurring motif, and I think, I think this is some of the imagery that, that Luke is invoking for us. The Gentiles are sending their gifts back to Jerusalem, the place that represents God's worship. But somehow it's, it's done in a way that the worship, the center of God's existence, has now spread. His kingdom has spread out of Jerusalem, and it has flowed down to this Gentile world. And the Gentiles are symbolically bringing these gifts back to Jerusalem. It's a link in the chain of God's rebirthing humanity. He's, 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 he's starting over, if you will. And he is creating new people, a new humanity. Not just Jewish, but it's going to be Jewish and Gentile. This is a link in the chain of God's rebirthing humanity. It started with Israel, right? But now it includes others. So you think about Abraham. He was called out of Ur. He said... 
He was promised you'd have descendants like the stars in the sky. All of these descendants will come from your body, Abraham. You think about the mixed crowd that comes out of Egypt. It wasn't just the Hebrews that came out of Egypt, out of exile to to Egypt into the promised land. But it specifically mentions it was a mixed crowd of ethnically diverse people. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. 42.6 in the Psalm. 42.6. You are to be a light to the nations. You have statements like, let the nations be glad, speaking about when they will come and they will, they will worship and offer their gifts to the one true God in Jerusalem. You have Ruth, the Moabitess. If you read through Ruth, it's really fascinating. It keeps repeating that phrase, the Moabitess, the Moabitess. She was a Moab. She was from Moab. She was a Moabitess of the Moab people. Arch enemies of Israel. And here she was. She has a book named after her, a central figure in the story. She's not even Jewish. And from her heritage comes the King David and eventually King Jesus. So you have this this whole chain, these links demonstrating this program that God was doing these things all along. It was not always going to only include the Jewish people. It was always supposed to include the Gentiles. He has always been about making a new humanity. He's erasing back to Acts here. He's erasing, and he's always been erasing, these cultural divisions. One people united through God's kingdom. And then quickly, Matthew 8, you have the story about where he heals the centurion's servant. There's a really powerful statement there that Jesus says. It says, many will come from east. Many will come from west to share the banquet with Abraham. They're going to come and sit around the table, Jew and Gentile. He had just healed a Gentile's servant. So I I think that's... That's what's going on in this passage, along with a lot of other things. Just to repeat the, uh, the big idea. Through the gospel, God rebirths a fractured humanity. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you're called to be part of this birthing program. How does this speak to us? Again, I'm sorry, I have no idea how long I'm taking. So hopefully I'm on track. How does this speak to us? This ongoing construction of a new humanity is part of the Christian's calling. Individuals being born again in the name of Jesus is the process by which humanity is reborn. Christians call non-believers to abandon their broken, dying humanity. They proclaim Jesus to become alive in Christ. They proclaim the good news. They send this good news far and near. In the first century, they proclaim Jesus to these Phoenician sailors steeped in first century culture and idolatry. Christians proclaim the good news to cannibals of the South Pacific, and they proclaim the good news to the postmodern 
woke 20-year-old lost in the false reality of social media. Or the conspiracy-promoting uncle gathering with you at the holidays. And as this living gospel takes root and grows, its fruit is a Christian response, a Christian action to feed and to clothe and to proclaim the good news to those that we once despised. To those that despise us. So, just a a few reflections. As, As we go through life, as I go through my life, as you go through your life, how are we at assisting in this rebirth. Because that's, that's, our, that's part of our calling, to assist. You, you, know, you, you become like an obi-gyne or, or a midwife. You're assisting in this rebirth. Is our instinct to live out our new humanity, or is our, our, our instinct to prop up the old, broken, dying humanity? This isn't a call to be naive and cry, can't, can't we all just get along? Um, famous words, right? But this is a call to bear with one another, even while holding on to important but differing convictions. So back to my example of our church previous to this. No one said, you need to stop believing what you believe. That would have been, I think, a bad response. Especially if it was a good belief, right? Especially if it was a secondary, third, fourth level belief. But rather we had to exalt our unity over the things that we disagreed about. So this is a call to not abandon our convictions, but it's a call to have unity in Christ. It's a call to examine our default responses to question how much of our worldview is shaped by cultural norms of this old dying humanity. As as a new humanity, how much are we being influenced by the old dying humanity? So just this example comes to mind. Given the day that we live in and these times this year, um, So, people have different convictions, strong opinions, strong beliefs about how to respond to the virus, right? So, just an example. So, staying home because of the virus. Or going out in spite of the virus. Wearing a mask, not wearing a mask. Where are we being shaped and how are we being shaped in order to determine what our response to these sorts of questions should be because it's it's probably not a secret but maybe it is the biggest determiner of like human american responses to that is the like cultural subgroups that you're a part of the biggest determiner to those questions is not like what what is a, a wise Christian response to this that's born out of this concern for a new humanity. People in certain regions, they go one way. People in a different area, they go a different way, right? 
So we all have to like self-examine and say, what's influencing me to make these decisions? Um, how should Christians think through this issue? How do we build humanity in this virus environment? I, I, don't, I don't have all the answers. I, I would just say there's a few things to keep in mind. Asking a question like this, is our highest concern to point each other towards Jesus, our defining essence? Is our highest concern to point each other towards Jesus, our defining essence? How are we doing at that? How are you doing at that, especially at this time of so much division? Are we, are we enculturated with this Jesus ethic of being... Slow to anger, quick to forgive, learning to lay down our lives for each other's well-being. Is that that what is informing our thoughts and our responses in this age of division? So in closing, I want to read a passage from... um, Ephesians that I think really highlights this idea of the new humanity. And it's, it's from um, you know, the message um, translation, which you're probably familiar with. But let this passage form, listen to the passage, and, and let it form our worldview. Let it determine our core leading to actions and image to us what this new humanity should look like and how we should respond to our calling to be a part of birthing this new humanity. This is Ephesians chapter 2, just a couple verses here. Again, from the message, the Messiah, and this is my closing prayer. So as we pray through this, just say amen in your heart. The Messiah has made things up between us, speaking to Jew and Gentile here, so that we're now together on this both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. And we can interchange those terms with any term that's modern and current for us, right? He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, centuries of animosity and suspicion, instead of starting two groups of people, he created a new kind of human being. A fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace. And that was the end of hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. Amen. Thank you, Danny. Uh, We're going to transition to take communion now. So um, Betsy and Rob are going to come around your tables.
if you're on Zoom with us this morning. Um, Solomon, you can go ahead and take down the uh, screen share as well. Um, if you're on Zoom with us this morning, feel free to take your own elements. And then after we take communion, I'll share a couple announcements and we'll officially end our time. As Betsy and Rob come around, just let them know how many cups you'd like and wait until we all have one. I'll direct us through. But as you, t- as you take these, um, I just encourage you to meditate on the passage that was just read. Because the, the, the cup and the wafer this morning point to the very real action that God took in Jesus to tear down hostilities between us. Jesus does, as Ephesians says, makes the two groups, in this case, one. Um, So I encourage you to reflect on that reality as you take the wafer that represents Christ's broken body and the blood that represents the spilled blood on the cross. take uh, Take your elements together now. Pray with me. Lord, may this this action that we do today in remembrance of you point us towards the new humanity that you have birthed and are continuing to create. May we, Monsieur Day Church, here in this corner of Portland, Maine, may we be a sign of that new humanity to to our communities and to our families and neighbors and workplaces and those around us. May we be evidence of the new humanity, the new work, the new healing work that you are doing in the midst of everything that's going on in our culture right now. Lord, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives amongst us. In your holy name we pray. Amen.